Yeah. Good morning, Grace Bible Church and Tristan Taylor. He paid me to say that, so I had to shout him out. Hey, guys, we love you, and we're so glad that you're in this room meeting with us. Um, we also want to welcome our church online. We are so glad that you guys are able to tune in alongside of us. Uh, today, we're going to continue a conversation in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 8 through 17. Okay, I just said a lot of things. Keep up, okay? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, through 17. Now I just forgot what I was doing. But before we do that, as you're turning there, there's a couple things that's really important that we address this morning. First and foremost, um, we do have our amazing um, preschool lead who is ha just so happens to be going to Africa. You heard a little bit more about that. Lauren Hill up in the building back there. Y'all see her back there by the computer. What a servant. Look at her. Shuffing mints in her mouth right now. Listen, we want to take a moment to just pray for her because she's actually leaving for Africa tomorrow. She'll be boarding a plane, getting up out of here, um, and going to change lives um, on the mission field, which is so cool and so awesome. We're really excited for that. As well as, we do know that there is a big mission field opening tomorrow, too. It is called the school. Um, and here's the thing about school. Many of you are um, teachers. Many of you became teachers, right? You're like, I didn't go to school to be a teacher, but now that my kids are at home and learning, I've now become a teacher. And now you have to learn how to do algebra again, and you failed it the first time, okay? You're like, what am I going to do? Well, listen, we want to pray for you. We also want to pray for our staff. Um, the staff that's on the front lines in our schools, all the way from the top to the bottom, they all are important and matter. We also want to pray for our students' health. Um, that they're not just uh, physically healthy, but they're spiritually healthy and they're growing and learning. Uh, but I also want to pray for those kids and students who, though school's opening, um, for some, may be scary and terrifying. It is hope because it's the only place that they're guaranteed meals and the only place that they're guaranteed love. And so teachers and staff and principals and all that, your job is super important. So thank you for being on the front lines and loving students well and doing it in a season. I was talking to one of my teacher friends right before this, and she said, I deserve a merit for teaching in 2020, okay? I'm like, yeah, you do. You can put that on your resume. I survived 2020, and I taught middle schoolers, okay? If you can accomplish that, you can accomplish anything in this world. So let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness, for the fact that you provide for our every needs, God. Thank you for Lauren in this season who's been able to just bless us all tremendously and just pour into many of our children, but also just many of our adults and everyone who comes across this, this amazing place that you call Grace Bible Church. We pray that we just continue to trust you, God. Be with our students, um, that as they may have to learn in new ways and our teachers may have to teach in new ways, that you keep their minds pure, God, but also keep their, keep their sake, keep them safe, God, that you just protect their immune systems uh, so that they're able to continue to truck forward, God. Give opportunities for the gospel. Give opportunities for the truth to be taught. Um, and God, thank you for their bravery to continue to reach way outside of the boat to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter 3. If you don't remember the last couple conversations or you missed them, let me catch you up real quick. First and foremost, to a couple weeks ago, Dustin talked about how we ought to submit to authority. And many of us don't really care too much for that. Many of us are like, I don't want to do that because I know more than my boss. I'm smarter than my boss. Or I'm better than this person. I know more than they do. They just happen to have the title. Or they just own the company. Like the importance of knowing what it means to submit to authority. As well as, many of you had the gut punch last week. The wives submit to your husband right, which is always like a, like a dancing a line feels like. We don't like that word, so make it sound like a bad word, but also hearing the beauty of what it looks like when a man of Christ submits all things to Jesus, and then his wife submits all things to her husband, and it's done in a great way when we're honoring each other well. And one thing that I wanted to just talk to just for a second was that meant a lot to me because I've come to realize that as a young married man, 
that I married in a beautiful and amazingly smart and talented, hardworking woman. No joke, okay? I, I married way up. Y'all want to talk about marrying up? Come sit down and have a conversation with my wife. You'll be like, well, how did this work out? And I'm like, God, bruh, God. And so God provided me a beautiful wife who's smarter than me and is able to smack me back in the line when I get out of line. But also when, I found that when I'm leading well and I'm leading the way Jesus has called me to lead, she has no problem following but it's also beautiful to know that God uses my wife many times to remind me when I'm not leading well. And it's such a cool opportunity that we have to just be a part of that, that constant dance that we have. Here we go. We're going to read through verses 8 through 17. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 8, and then we're going to go through the rest of the verses. So, y'all ready? Today we're talking about suffering. Remember, the Christians at this time were going through a, a, a bit of a suffering, right? There's a lot of things going on around them in their culture. Uh, literally, were being persecuted. They were dealing with this. And Peter is saying, let me tell you how you deal with suffering. Because when we suffer, the first thing to often go is our character. When you become a victim of pain or suffering, the first thing to go is your own, I, don't want, to, I want to say composure, right? We don't think rationally when we're suffering. We don't think clearly when we're focused on our situations as we do when we're focusing on Jesus. So this is what Peter has to say. Verse 8. And you'll, if you don't have your Bible, be up in the sky. If not, I'll read it for you. Here we go. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. So first and foremost, Peter gives sort of this remedy to what it means to honor God in our suffering. I need you to hear something today. You're going to hear the word suffering a lot today. And we're talking about suffering for righteousness sake. And we'll get a little bit more to that in a moment. But it's important to know this. That what he's speaking to is a suffering that's inevitable, not a suffering that's avoidable. The only thing that can change in our suffering is our heart and attitude towards the suffering, not the suffering itself. So hear that. What he says, he says, I have five attitudes. Who's a point person? Me. I am. So I love when there's five points because five points means that I know where I'm going and what needs to be done. And this is what Peter says. He says, first thing that you need to have, oh believer, is a unity of mind. He's speaking that we become unified under this one umbrella, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of our preferences. Whether you like the rocking band or whether you prefer just hymnals, whether you prefer Dustin's preaching, Cameron's preaching, or the best Etienne's teaching, um, you know, like whatever, clearly humble, uh, whatever you prefer is not what he's saying that we have to be unified under. We have to be unified, unified under the gospel. Much like in Romans 12, when, um, when Paul's talking about the body of Christ, he says, hey, we're all one body, right? We're all one body under the umbrella that is Jesus, but we all have different functions in the body. That's good and right. Not everyone's meant to preach a sermon, just like not everyone's a great listener and advice giver. Not everyone's meant to do all those things. Some people have the ability to cook really good meals and feed Etienne and his wife because they love him so much. And we say amen to those people, right? Like, our gifts are different, but we're a part of one body. So even in our suffering, we must be unified, not divided by our political preferences, our color of the carpet preferences, our worship preferences, our preacher preferences, but we are to be unified as the body of Christ. Because guys, the body has different parts, right? We know that some of us may be the mouth, and our job is to speak and preach and teach the gospel to the masses, but listen, the mouth is no good if there's no ears. If I'm preaching in an empty room, that's going to be sad, first and foremost. But secondly, what good is that? There is a job that we all have to, to 
serve in different aspects of the body, and even in the midst of our suffering, we cannot forget that it is not our brother and sister who is causing our suffering, but it is very much the world and the circumstances around us, and many times our own circumstances. Because really when we unify, we choose to stop making much of ourselves, and we start making much of Jesus. Unity means that we stop giving in to our preferences and our own suffering situations, but we choose to give in to Jesus. Number two, sympathy. We ought to have sympathy. And the Greek word for this is sympathy. Probably saying it wrong, but I thought I'd sound smart. Here you go. Sympathy. And all that means is to feel together. Who in here is a feeler? Me. Raise your hand if you're a feeler. You know if you're a feeler. If you're not a feeler, you, you know you're not a feeler. All right, here's a prime example of how I'm a feeler. Um, in my household, my wife does not mess around with anything that crawls in my house. Like, it's dire straits. In fact, yesterday, no joke, sorry to expose you, there was a lizard on the door, and she ran around the house to come inside because she's like, if I open the door, the lizard might get inside, then it might get in my bed, then I might, and I'm like, whoa, what are you talking about? So then I'm the professional lizard catcher. But here's my mindset. She's like, get it out of here. We got to get rid of it. There was this little spider family. <laughs> Of daddy long legs. Just daddy long legs. They're cute, right? They live in this little corner in my bathroom. There was a daddy. I, I think it was a daddy. Maybe it was a mom. And there's a little baby, and then there's another one. So it's a daddy, mom, and a baby, right? And here I am. My wife's like, you got to get those out of, our, out of our bathroom. I'm like, no. That's a dad with the family trying to provide. It's hard out here in these streets. Like, I can't kill him. I said, I will gladly relocate him, but we are not killing him when he's out here trying to provide for his family. And I'm a feeler. So when people are in need of something or people are hurting, it's instant. It's easy for me to feel what you're feeling. This is a challenge for those who say they're not feelers. When someone's suffering, our response ought to never be, ought to never be in the body of Christ, ought to never be they're getting what they deserve. Oh, well, I got my own problems to deal with. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. That does not mean that every time someone's crying, you got to cry too. Fair warning, if you walk up to me crying, I am going to cry with you, okay? You're going to be like, I need sound advice. I'm like, okay, you start crying, I start crying, and it's just like a snot fest, okay? We don't want that. But it's a reminder to me that we have to feel together as the body of Christ because in our suffering, when we feel alone and isolated, we have to know that somebody gets our pain because your pain is real. The feelings are real, but what we choose to do with the feelings is what dictates how we respond to our suffering. We respond to our suffering with Jesus. We don't respond to our suffering with validating it or succumbing to it or saying that this is the answer. Number three, brotherly love. Brotherly love. How do we respond? Brotherly slash sisterly love. Okay, this is how this works. Um, I, this is easy for me to relate to because I have four brothers. Love my brothers. Here's the thing about when you have four brothers. that If you grow up with a house of boys, we beat each other up a lot. We roast each other, too. Like, some savage stuff comes out, and we start talking about each other, right? Like, we're grown adults still making fun of each other, and our wives sit there and look at us like, are you guys 12? Like, can you grow up now, right? Like, what's wrong with you? But literally, here's the deal about my brother. I remember that I could say and do whatever I wanted to my brother. Like, I literally caused my brother to, to have stitches about four or five different times. Um, I lost track, okay? Like, we would fight, we would tussle, we'd wrestle, but the minute that anyone else said something to my little brother, all four foot six of me, 100, no, maybe 85 pounds, was like, did you say something to my brother? 
You're talking to my brother. Right, like I was so quick to defend my brother in need because I was like, hey, I love my brother. And here's the deal to this day. I would do anything for my brother if he called and said, hey, I need some help. I need some assistance. I need something here. I would drop whatever I'm doing to go pursue and love my brother. This is what it means to go the extra mile for our brother and sister in Christ. Listen, we can't treat people as inconveniences. Well, I'm just going through a hard time too, so you're just going to have to get over that. We have to sympathize, and then we have to pursue them with a brotherly love. Number four, we have to have a tender heart. We must have compassion for one another. Listen, a tender heart simply means this. We do have to communicate the truth, but we also forget to follow the truth with love a lot of times. Like, it's easy for us to point out the flaws or to point out that someone put themselves in a situation. But in our suffering, when we feel like we're broken and we don't know what to do, we need someone to approach us with a tender heart. Now, don't get me wrong. Some truth has to come from that. And there may be some hard truths to swallow. But my first reaction has to be tender, right? Because I'm going to feel sympathy for you first. And then I'm going to speak the truth. And then I'm going to follow up with love. And when I find that in our suffering, we, we choose to forget about that, we, we choose not to be tender, we become rough and harsh and brash, we have to remember this. I was in third grade, and I had a pastor, and I won't say his name, Pastor Eric, he was my children's pastor, and um, I remember that when he was, when I was young, I had a little hamster and he died, and I was traumatized, right? I was like, oh, my hamster, no! And like, my hamster died, and I remember going to my pastor, I was like, yo, pastor, is my hamster going to be in heaven? And, no joke, he looks at me and goes, No. Did your hamster give his life to Jesus? I was like, I, 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 I guess not, okay. But like, I remember that was not very tender, right? Like, I'm just a child and I'm, I'm asking a question. And in that moment, I needed somebody to just sit down and have a conversation with me. Had he pulled me aside and said, son, can I talk to you? Man, that's a, I bet that loss is hurting you, isn't it? Man, I know that's tough. But let's talk a little, we can talk about God's word, we can talk about truth, but in the moment, I needed somebody to understand my pain with a tender heart. Because my suffering in that moment felt like my world was ending, and it was a hamster. But for me, it was more than a hamster. And so that's why we have to remember to have a tender heart. Because listen, I need you to pick me up and brush me off and preach the gospel to me when I'm down and out. Listen, I need a tender heart of compassion when you see me fall that you don't point to my sin, but you point to the truth of the gospel to say, listen, you are not those lies. You are a son and daughter bought by the precious blood of Jesus, and you belong to the kingdom of heaven, and you are not what you've done, but you are what's been done for you. I need the tender heart because so often it's so easy for us Christians to aim the crosshairs when our brother and sister fall short, when a pastor we idolize falls short, or when someone makes a mistake, we point the gun at them and say, open fire. That's it. You're done. How dare you? How could you? You should be ashamed of yourself. And all those things are true and right. We should feel the weight of our sin. We should bring us to a place of repentance. But I don't need you to beat me down or remind me of my failure, I need you to remind me of the power of the gospel that saved me, is saving me, and is going to save me tomorrow. The mercy and grace that is abundantly given and offered by the power of the cross, I need you to remind me of that, not my failures. Christian, when we're suffering, we don't get the opportunity to look at our brother or sister who falls short and blame them and point fingers at them and mock them. 
and say, thank God I'm not like them. My only response to my brother or sister falling short, even in suffering, is to love them with a tender heart. Because I need you to pick me up when I fall. Oh, I need it. And I need you to speak to the truth because I've been believing lies. The lies of the enemy that tell me I'm not good enough, or the lies of the enemy that tell me I am what I do, not what's been done. And last one here on this verse 8, we need to have a humble mind. Pretty self-explanatory. Philippians 2, 3, 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is no longer about you when you surrender your heart to Jesus. Even in your suffering, you no longer can look at yourself as it being about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the body and it's about others. We have to start to consider others greater than us. So we don't get to discount their pain. We don't get to discount people's suffering. We don't get to choose who we say, ah, well, you might have only did that, but you won't believe what they did to my grandfather. You won't believe what they did to me. You won't believe how they treated me. We no longer get that right. Our only right is to put other people as far greater than ourselves, and we love them accordingly. Because when I put other people before me, I come to find out that my opinions and my, my feelings don't really matter. They're just opinions. Just because you vote differently than me, just because you work in a different place than me, just because you're a different ethnicity than me, just because you're a different gender than me, I don't get to prioritize anything above our relationship to Jesus. I don't get to allow our differences to dictate how I treat you. I treat you greater than I would treat myself. And I treat myself pretty good. So I gave myself a face mask last night. So you want to know my skin's so glowing, that's why. All right. Verse 9. Verse 9. Here we go. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. I finally said it right. I've been struggling with that word all morning. Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Time out. You heard that correctly. God said, don't be evil, evil. Do good because then you'll obtain a blessing. And to me, I'm like, cool, that's great, God. So I've done a lot of good this week. You know, like this isn't, God doesn't treat you like it's your kindergarten sticker board, okay? Like you got five gold stars, you get a piece of candy at the end of the week. That's not how God operates. What the word blessing here is inherent, inherit, sorry. You will gain an inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever inherited anything, a house, a home, a car, anything, a family heirloom, something that people have passed down to you, there's normally great pride in that, great honor in that. Now, we don't, we don't say, Gram I can't wait for grandmother to pass away because then I get her house. Like, we don't say those things because it's not how we feel. But we do get to look forward to those things. And it's good and right. It's very good and right to look forward to inheriting things. But here's the deal. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you don't get to repay evil for evil because I am going to bless you and reward you when your day comes. And you want to know when that day is? When you no longer walk this earth. Spoiler alert. The suffering doesn't stop. When we suffer for righteousness' sake, the suffering doesn't stop while we're here on earth. It literally will continue on for as long as we have breath in our lungs until the day we meet Jesus. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. It means as you seek to bless, even as you suffer, you can know that you are walking towards your inheritance. You can look as a believer to a life with Christ as we suffer now, knowing because we're a Christian, we know what awaits us. My eyes are no longer on the things of this world and my pain and my discomfort. 
My eyes are now on the things to come, and that is the things of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 through 12 is actually, is actually Peter re- or quoting Psalms 34, which is such a cool little thing that he does here. He, he pulls in Psalms 34 just to kind of reiterate a point here, and he's like, here you go. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, I'm in. I'm like, cool, I'm in. I'm down to love life and see good days. I'll count me in for that one. He says, this is what you must do. Let him keep his tongue from evil. I'm like, uh, okay. His lips from speaking deceit. I'm like, uh, okay. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now hear me. I want to re- reiterate a couple things here. Verse 12 to me was one of the verses in this chapter that I struggled with the most because I wanted to understand what he's talking about. And maybe some of you didn't even notice, you just glanced it over. But you see it's up there. It says, for the eyes of the Lord on the righteous, but his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I struggled because I'm like, what does it mean for the face of the Lord to be against those who do evil? And I'm like, what is it? Like, God, does he just not care about bad people? What is, does he not notice them? Does he just kind of turn the eye? Like, no, let me tell you what, what I've understood reading this in some commentaries I was reading. He says, God turns his face on the evil to see it. And you need to know something about this. That It's not that he turns his face on the evil saying, I allow it to happen and it happens whenever because I don't care about it. It's saying that there will be a day where the righteous judge will judge all people. Meaning the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning those in Christ, not in Christ. Meaning the narrow is the way, wide is, you know, wide is the gate. You know what I'm saying? That will happen one day. And when it does, that'll be the day that those who did evil and never claimed the name of Jesus will realize what they've done. He's saying it is not your job. To fix evil people. But can I encourage you real quick? As much as you say that sounds dark and morbid. And you're like oh that doesn't sound very loving. I want you to hear something. Judgment is loving. We have to be held accountable for our actions. And especially in the midst of our suffering and chaos. And how we treat people and react when things are wrong. This is what you need to hear oh Christian. Listen. You guys feel like overwhelmed? Do you, anyone else feel more, more anxious lately? Does anyone feel more fearful? Does anyone feel like maybe anxious because you've lost a job because someone's become sick? Or maybe because you're a teacher going to school with a bunch of germ-filled children who you're supposed to social distance and they're going to trade masks midway through the day. Like, you're like, what am I supposed to do? Spray every kid with Lysol is the answer. And so you're, you're, you may be anxious. You may feel all these things. And as your situations feel so daunting and overwhelming, hear this. When he's quoting Psalms 34, he says, God hears every cry and every longing of his people. When you are in Jesus, he hears every prayer you send. And he loves you. Psalms 34 says that he hears those. He says, when the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears them. He is near to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted right now? Well, God is near you, and he cares for you, and he loves you so much that even though you feel like your circumstances are too much, and you can't make it through this, you're like, what am I going to do? Hear me. You're suffering for righteousness' sake. Keep your eyes on the prize, the inheritance that is Jesus Christ. And though you may suffer, you have to go back to those five things that remind us how we suffer. Why? Because the only way people are going to experience the truth of the gospel is by how we love them and how we pursue them. How do I know that? First John 4 tells me that. No one's seen God, but God will be made evident by the way we love people. The reason why he's, those five things were just, they're not just to-do lists. 
They're not just things I just try to do. They're things that I have to remember that those are the attitudes I have to have towards people so that they can encounter God. Because let me tell you something. Like, I'll tell you a story in a second about how my heart was just ripped from my chest because someone who was evidently dealing with suffering was able to put the things of God above, and it completely wrecked me. God loves you, and he cares for you. He hears your prayers, and he knows you, and he longs and desires to spend time with you. Gosh, sometimes I feel like my prayers bounce and hit the ceiling. I feel that sometimes. And sometimes I pray, God, why are you putting this on my plate? And I, I, I don't love because I can't stand it. When people say, God will never put more on your plate than you can handle. Keep going, trooper. That is false. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. In fact, in my life experience, personal note, I feel like God puts so much on my plate all the time that the only appropriate answer to that is to say, God, I need you and all of you because Christ in me is enough. But if Christ in me don't stop the situation, I'm about to knock somebody out. Like, we really need to realize that in our suffering, in our struggles, in our issues, we can turn to the things, we can turn to the tangibles, we can turn to our own wallets, our own family, our own marriage, and we can put the pressure of our struggles, the pressure on our suffering on that, which I promise you all those things will snap and break at some point. Cam and Dustin say it all the time, the lesser gods will never fail to fail us. But what Jesus is saying, are you, can you, ah, this blows my mind. Can you imagine serving such a jealous God that he loves you so much that he's willing to put you through the things that draw you closer to him? He's willing to allow you to run off in the wasteland. He's willing to allow you to create your own suffering. James tells us that, that God doesn't even, God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't need to tempt us. We do it to ourselves. Anyone read that in James? If not, read James. It'll change your life. He tells you, you don't even need help to sin. You're so good at it by yourself, you just wake up and do it. The devil's not hiding out in the corner like, I can't wait till he messes up now. Like the devil's nowhere near you, and yet you just wake up and go, man, it'd be great if I just dropped the ball today. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the beauty of the gospel that in the midst of your suffering, he's there for you, he cares for you, and he hears your prayers. He is a jealous God, and he loves you. Your circumstances don't determine how good God is. <laughs> That's the case. Well, in my life, I think God's not very fair. <laughs> But understanding that the thing about suffering, and this is what he's talking to a very broken people who are literally losing their lives. He's saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Remember, Paul talks about that. It's a marathon, the crown of life. That comes when we take our last breath, not any time on this earth. So please, if anyone ever tells you that it's Jesus is going to give you the things, Jesus is going to definitely heal, or Jesus is going to definitely give you this blessing, if you do this, that is a false gospel. Jesus tells me that if I give him his life, he promises me an inheritance. He promises me the Holy Spirit that provides love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He provides those things to me. But never does it say that he provides the things or that he provides better situations, better circumstances all the time. Because some of us are going to have to suffer. Unfortunately, sometimes worse than others. But I found a lot of times my suffering is what's caused me. My pain is what's caused me and allowed me to connect to somebody in a way that my joyous days could never. Like, no one can relate to the person on Instagram who their life is perfect and great and wonderful and awesome. They're Maui Maui, and then they got this, and they got a sports car, and they got everything working out. But I can feel and relate to when a pastor is bleeding out his heart or when a church member is, is reaching out in their brokenness and saying, I just need help. 
I never understood why my parents got divorced until I, divorced until I started doing youth ministry. So, well, God, why did you make my parents get divorced? That doesn't make sense. Until I realized the very suffering that many of our teenagers are facing, and I now have the ability to feel and sympathize with their pain. I never got it. I never got why God didn't make me 6'5 and able to dunk a basketball. Because then I'd be in the NBA, clearly. But it's a member that in my suffering, I can know that my job is to make much of Christ. Here we go, verse 13. We're going to land this plane here, 13 through 17 here. This is good. This is a good scripture, so hear me. Now, who is there to harm you even if you're zealous for what good? Love that verse because it's totally sarcasm, okay? How do you not hear that sarcasm? He's like, who's going to harm you if you're doing good things? Come on. Like, if you're feeding the homeless, you're loving people well, you're blessing those who curse you, who's going to be like, wow, how dare you give me 20 bucks for lunch, you terrible person, you? Like, no, come on. Give me 20 bucks, okay? I'll take it. It's like, you, you no one's going to do that. So he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, he's saying, even if you suffer for the good things, you will be blessed. Once again, that word blessed means inheritance. That means you will inherit He's talking about you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying, again, a lot of people read this and go, well, if I do good things, then good things will come to me. That is not the way that God operates, okay? He's not a vending machine. You don't put him out of money in and he gives you some things out. That's not how it works. He does provide the intangible things, right? The love, the joy, peace. We talked about that. Here we go. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. i got to give a side sermon here real quick. Do you hear what that said? It said that you ought to know why you believe what you believe. You ought to be able to pre-preach the gospel. If you don't know what you believe, if someone could come up to you and say, Hey, why are you so happy? Why do you believe in God? And you go, I mean, he's real and he's cool. I like him. You know? And you're like, okay, well, what about him? I mean... I go to church and, like, I feel good when I talk about Jesus and pray to Jesus. Like, you, you, that's not a proper defense. And then what he says is, hey, know why you believe what you believe. You need to read God's word. You need to grow in your theology and understanding. You need to know what you do truly believe doctrinally. We think that's important. Not always exciting to talk about, you know, how you feel about certain hot topics. But aside from the gospel, there's a, a bunch of gray areas where you could say, okay, well, maybe it's this way, maybe it's this way. You need to know why you believe what you believe because people will ask. And I'll tell you what. Some of the hardest conversations I've had are with people who don't believe that seem to know more about the Bible than I do. And I'm like, they're like, well, what about when the Bible says this? I'm like, it says that? I'm like, where? I mean, yeah, I knew that. You know, No, it's like, but you, you realize something that's important to know why you believe what you believe. He's saying, but here's the thing. All my keyboard warriors, I got a lot of you on Facebook, so I'm calling all y'all out. Not looking at nobody, right? Like, with gentleness and respect, we can disagree with people about political stances, about uh, family issues, about things like that, about who to vote for, or who the best team in the NFL is, or if LeBron's the GOAT or Michael Jordan's the GOAT, clearly LeBron. But if you can, if we can disagree on those things, but we cannot disagree on the gospel. And the only way our proper response to deal with someone who's completely trying to deconstruct what we believe is gentleness and respect even if the other person is everything but that and you know what's so funny i'm just gonna sign note. we're gonna move on it seems that the people in the church are the only ones that seem to argue more about church stuff than anyone in the world we argue with each other more than we argue with anyone else oh god let's you get in here we'll just i could throw a couple buzzwords right now and this room would start going crazy but here's the beauty of it that though we're suffering that reminds us back to have unity of mind that we have to also know why we believe in what we believe verse 16 
having a good conscience. This is good. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good. That it should be God's will, not no one else's, than for doing evil. I just want to take a moment and explain something. Did you see what he's saying? He's saying, guys, if you think that it's just Christians who suffer, you're wrong. The world suffers, right? Like, there's people who don't believe in Jesus, who are losing family members, who are losing jobs, who are going bankrupt, and they don't know what to do, and they do not have the hope of the gospel. Our job in our suffering is to make much of the gospel so that those who are suffering around us will look at our lives and see Jesus. Because that's the only remedy to our suffering. No drug, no alcohol, no relationship, no nothing. Simply the gospel. No president, no congressperson, no coach, no teacher, no mom, no dad. They are not the answer. Jesus is. In fact, what he's saying here is there's a day when everyone is going to come to a place of realizing that the suffering will come to an end. And when that day comes, we will be face to face with our maker. And every evil deed will be accounted for. And those who chose to never put their trust in Jesus will spend eternity departed from him. And those who put their trust in Jesus, kept their eyes on the things above, focused on our inheritance, not our circumstances, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. There will be a day where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, and you will be in perfect bliss. And a day, a minute, an hour in heaven will not equate to the greatest memory you could have possibly accumulated here on earth. I want to take a moment if we can. I just, I don't know who in here is hearing the suffering conversation for the first time, and maybe you're like, this is crazy, what's this guy talking about? Sounds crazy. I want you to hear something. If you're in this room and you don't know this hope that is Jesus, this suffering for the righteousness sake, if you don't know what this means, I want you to hear something. You have a God who loves you so much that Romans tells us that while we were still enemies of Christ, yet he died for us. You have a God who pursues you and cares for you. And in your, if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus, I would argue that he's gone to a pretty full extent to get you in the room for a conversation. And I pray that you hear the words and you hear it and you feel it in your stomach and that, that you are able to respond to something. That if you don't know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, let me just tell you what he's done for you. God saw that there was brokenness and sin in this world and there was no hope. And the only hope was to send his son to die as a sacrifice. He lived a perfect life for 33 years, was tempted and tried, but yet never succumbed, never gave in to sin. Then he was brutally beaten and mocked and spit on, taken to a cross on Calvary where he hanged there, where he was hung there. You want to talk about suffering? Imagine doing nothing wrong and suffering. We put a lot of our own suffering on ourselves with our poor decisions and the things we do. And yet the man who was fully God and fully man walked this earth and said, I'm thinking about Etienne. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about Patrick. I'm thinking about you when I was taking on all this suffering because I knew there would be a day would come when you would need me and you would call my name and you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord and I will forever enter your life. Your whole, my Holy Spirit will now dwell in you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will be near to you. I just want to take a moment. If we can close our eyes before we pray to wrap up here. Oh, just a couple seconds, and I don't, want to, I don't want to sit here long. All I want to say is, and you're a church online. If it's you, if it's you, I pray you just reach out to someone in our comments or, or message our Facebook page or message our Instagram or wherever you're watching. We would love to connect with you. 
If you're that person, if you're in this room right now and you say, hey, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I have not made that decision to cross from death to life, but I want to because I know that the world is suffering and those for the kingdom are suffering, but I want to put my trust in a hope that is going to sustain me. I want Jesus to be my everything, and I want him to take control of my life so that I can walk in the fruit of the Spirit, that I can have the Holy Spirit so that when I struggle, I don't struggle without hope, but I can be hopeful. Real quick, if that's you, no one looking around, just if you want to slip your hand up for a second, I just simply want to pray over you if you don't mind. If that's you, just real quick, just briefly. You can make eye contact if you don't mind. That's you. If that's you, they said, I just, I just need to say this prayer. I just need to cross from death to life. I need to, I need to give my life to Jesus. Just slip up your hand just for a second. Awesome. Thank you. I see you. I see you. I see you. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask something uh, bold of those people. When we're done praying, if you can come see me on the right side of the stage, outside of service, um, that would be awesome. I'd just love to have a conversation with you. I don't want to, I'm not going to grill you, not to drill you. I just, I simply just want to talk to you for a second, if that's cool. Um, And if you didn't raise your hand and maybe you felt you needed to respond, please come up here. I'd love to chat with you as well. We'll have a couple people up here. Me and Pastor Chris uh, would love to chat with you. Let's pray. Father God, we just love you so much. We thank you for those who raised their hand to cross from death to life, God, in a desire to be in an intimate relationship with you, God, that in the midst of their suffering and pain and all the things of the world going on, God, that they're choosing to trust you with all that they are. Uh, God, I pray right now that you just um, spit out anything that I said that was glorifying to me, God, or anything that was um, not of you, and God, that they're able just to rest on the, the peace of knowing that you are God and you are faithful. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.